Bibi Fahodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, a.k.a. Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. Bibi Fahodier, this is African Liberation Media. I'm here with brothers Amos and Makaru. I am Russell A. Swilly, a.k.a. Gullah Jack. No hype from me on the specific dates of May 31st through June 2nd, 1921, a town, Greenwood, the area of Greenwood, Archer and Pine, were destroyed by American terrorists. We have an eyewitness account from Mrs. Fletcher, a living survivor. First witness is Miss Viola Fletcher, also known, if I can, Mother Fletcher. Thank you. I don't have a mother, so thank you. Mother Fletcher is the oldest living survivor of the Tulsa Race Massacre. She was seven years old when she lived through the massacre. Mother Fletcher, you are now recognized to testify. My name is that. Okay, okay. My name is Viola Ford Fletcher. I'm the daughter of Lucinda Ellis and John Wesley Ford of Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm the sister of Hughes Van Ellis, who is also here today. I'm a survivor of the Tulsa Race Massacre. Two weeks ago, I celebrated my 107th birthday. Today, I'm visiting Washington, D.C. for the first time in my life. I'm here seeking justice, and I'm asking my country to acknowledge what happened in Tulsa in 1921. On May 31st and 21, I went to bed in my family's home in Greenwood. Neighbors of Tulsa, the neighborhood I felt asleep in that night, was rich, not just in terms of wealth, but in culture, humanity, heritage, and my family had a beautiful home. We had great neighbors, and I had friends to play with. I felt safe. I had everything a child could need. I had a bright future ahead of me. Greenwood could, excuse me, yeah. Still, Greenwood should have given me the chance to make, truly make it in this country. Within a few hours, all of that was gone. The night of the massacre, I was awakened by my family. My parents and five siblings were there. I was told we had to leave, and that was it. I will never forget the violence of the white mob when we left our home. I still see black men seeing being shot, black bodies lying in the street. I still smell smoke and see fire. I still see black businesses being burned. I still hear airplanes flying overhead. I hear the screams. I have lived through the massacre every day. Our country may forget this history, but I cannot. I will not. And other survivors do not. 
and our descendants do not. When my family was forced to leave Tulsa, I lost my chance of an education. I never finished school past the fourth grade. I have never made much money in my country, state and city took a lot from me. Despite this, I spent time supporting the war effort in the shipyards of California, but most of my life I was a domestic worker serving white families. I never made much money, but to this day I can barely afford my everyday needs. All the while the city of this Tulsa have unjustly used the names and stories of victims like me to enrich myself and its white allies through the 30s million, through the 30s million ways by the Tulsa Centennial Commissioner while I was continued to live in poverty. I am 107 year old and have never been seen justice. I pray that one day I will. I have been blessed with a long life and have seen the best and the worst of this country. I think about the terror, horror inflicted upon black people in this country every day. This subcontinuum nitty has the power to lead us down a better path. I'm asking that my country acknowledge what has been happened to me, the tremors and the pain, the loss, and I ask the survivors and descendants to be given the chance to speak, seek justice, open the door. All of you know how easy it is to deny that that a violent mob threatened your lives and took your property. For 70 years, the city of Tulsa and its stream of chummers told us that Damascus didn't happen, like we didn't see it with our own eyes. You have, <coughs> have me here right now. You see Mother Randall, you see my brother, Hughes Van Ellis. We live this history and we can't ignore it. It, it's our lives with us. Oh my goodness. We lost everything that day. Our homes, our churches, our newspapers, our theaters, our lives. Greenwood represented all the best of what was possible for black people in America and for all, for all the people. No one cared about us for almost a hundred years. We and our history have been forgotten, washed away. This Congress must recognize us and our history. For black America, for the white Americans, and for all Americans, with that some justice. To uh, put this in perspective, we can refer to this as a modern day Wakanda. This is an area of Greenwood where the residents possessed a half a dozen private planes, referred to as Little Africa of many Beverly Hills, 
a successful infrastructure. They boasted the people that constructed an educational system second to none. And the thing I'm mostly struck by is the fact that money circulated in this Greenwood, Alpine, and Archer area over 100 times or from three to five years. You fast forward 100 years later to 2021, the African-American dollar last in the African-American colonial enclave of exactly 15 minutes. This is the African liberation media. So much to do, so little time. What precipitates these violent outbreaks? Some of our brothers here anticipate that this type of carnage can occur again. You know, suffice it to say, America is always changing, but America never changes. This is the African Liberation Media. Ashe, Ashe, uh, Gullah Jack, I appreciate uh, uh, your commentary there and your thoughts. Uh, we, um, we wanted to do this program because we are approaching uh, May 31st, which will be uh, 100 years since uh, the white supremacy dynamic in Oklahoma unleashed uh, this wave of death and destruction on the African community, uh, aptly named Little Africa. I don't know. I don't know how many people there. I know John Hope Franklin's father was there, but I don't know how many people there uh, realize what a compliment that was, uh, considering uh, you know the prosperity of the great empires of Africa to be for the community to be called Little Africa. In my opinion, is more appropriate than uh, than Black Wall Street, which is uh, nothing but a, uh, a capitalistic uh, blood sucking pig. Uh, so I, you know, I I prefer the name Little Africa. Um, but uh, you know, we wanted to do the program in honor of um, uh, our people who lived and and fought, who who first of all built the community, and uh, then who struggled and fought and particularly highlight uh, these elders, the three elders that testified in Congress uh, on May the 19th, coincidentally, maybe somebody had some consciousness that we are not aware of, that they scheduled the hearings on the birthday of Omawale Malcolm X. And certainly uh, the, the, uh, the three uh, uh, Africans, uh, centurions who uh, testified, uh, Mother Fletcher, Mother Randall, and uh, Elder Ellis, uh, one, 100 ages 107, 106, and 100. That's just incredible in and of itself. And to hear how strong Mother Fletcher's voice was saying that uh, she'd only received a fourth grade education, my God, it must... <laughs> A fourth grade education uh, in the Greenwood community, uh, you know, must be something uh, akin to the education that our people received in ancient Kemet. If, if uh, you know, if, if if that's a you know representative of it, uh, uh, you know, that's just uh, just incredible uh, that this sister was, was so strong. 
and able to read. There was so much that she said there, but um, you know, just just for the record, you know, for uh, a lot of our a lot of our people, you know, we have to put what happened in 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 the context of the uh, second cycle of white supremacy in the United States, uh, which we call American apartheid. Uh, it was the uh, response of the white supremacy dynamic to uh, losing uh, their uh, original uh, cycle of white supremacy, which was chattel slavery. Uh, you know, they were forced into a, uh, to to, recap to uh, capitulate on chattel slavery, but they immediately went into a recovery mode, uh, re-engineering mode, recalibration mode. And uh, the violence struck the African communities, uh, particularly in the Southern United States, but also in, uh, you know, below the uh, Mason-Dixon line, which is the Canadian border, uh, all over the country. But beginning in 1866 in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, and then continuous, continuing in places uh, like Colfax, uh, Louisiana in 1873, Wilmington, North Carolina in 1898, there was a pattern of white racial violence. And this pattern of racial violence uh, was basically, you know, designed uh, to, in fact, re-enslave Africans. We know that chattel slavery had been outlawed for all conditions except one. And, uh, you know, they, they were attempting uh, to uh, institute a new form of, uh, of white supremacy uh, that will perhaps be even more effective uh, than, was, uh, than, than, than was chattel slavery. And so uh, the African community uh, being uh, given actual laws passed by the, Repu the radical Republicans, which if they had been enforced, could have made this country a multiracial Democracy is as strange as that sounds, but the white supremacy dynamic, of course, uh, did what they do best. They resorted to violence, and um, they they often they had many excuses uh, for uh, launching uh, these uh, terrorist uh, rampages on African communities. Uh, most often, they it involved uh, a black uh, man being accused of uh, raping uh, some white woman. But as Ida Wells Barnett, our esteemed ancestor, Ida B. Wells Barnett, pointed out uh, in the 1890s, the real motivation was to destroy the, the economic uh, foundation that was uh, supporting these uh, African communities. You know, they set up the laws so that, uh, you know, our communities would be separated and later segregated from theirs. And then African people, using their own ingenuity and uh, the remnants of African culture that had survived uh, the Middle Passage and chattel slavery, particularly building strong black families, African uh, people were achieving levels of autonomy and prosperity and self-reliance and self-determination that the white supremacy dynamics simply couldn't tolerate. So, so they looked for excuses and for reasons. Uh, you know, to attack these communities. And in Tulsa, it was a situation where a 19-year-old black man by the name of Dick Rowland 
stepped onto an elevator operated by a 17-year-old white woman. And either, depending on, you know, how the story is reconstructed, he either uh, accidentally bumped into her or stepped on her toe or something, immediately apologized, and she ran off the elevator screaming that she had been assaulted by a black man. Okay. It was a he, according to the most uh the most common uh theme is that he tripped and just you know accidentally brushed into her. Uh the news, the Tulsa newspaper, the media, and you'll find out in, in every one of these uh uh white supremacist assaults, you'll you'll find the media playing a critical role. They immediately published, started publishing editions in the paper. This was on May 30th, 1921, that a uh, Negro had assaulted a white woman. Dick Rowland was arrested and a white mob gathered, demanding that the sheriff release him so that he could be lynched. Now, this is in 1921. And in Tulsa, just like in many black neighborhoods, there were numerous uh, men of African descent who had fought, who had engaged in combat against uh, the uh, the Germans and the Axis uh, powers, uh, Austria, Hungary, uh, and uh, and the other uh, powers uh, during World War One, and many of them had returned to their communities with some of their arms, uh, you know, just like uh, soldiers are doing today, and so they armed themselves and went to the jail and offered to protect the jail to prevent the lynching. Of course, the sheriff denied uh, their request for protection, but in the process of leaving uh, the uh, the jail area, uh, a white man approached one of the uh, the armed black men and attempted to take his weapon. Of course, no man is going to allow that to happen. Uh, a scuffle ensued, a shot was fired, and then that became the rationale for you know attacking the community but deep down inside there's no doubt that the white supremacy dynamic had wanted to uh, destroy this prosperous black community because what what the black people in greenwood were doing defied the logic or the illogic of white supremacy black people are not supposed to be able to accomplish these types of things you're not supposed to have banks you're not supposed to have a world renowned surgeon you're not supposed to have uh, schools, uh, all different types of businesses, real estate, uh, and, and so you're not you're not supposed to be able to do this. And so the white supremacy dynamic said, "Okay, we'll destroy it." Even though black people were living under the laws that had been established in the country, you don't want us. Uh, you don't want anything to do with us. Fine, we'll do it ourselves. We'll live. We'll, we'll live amongst ourselves. And 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 we'll produce and take care of our own people without you, no involvement with you. You know, I mean, obviously there were some uh, uh, black people, particularly women maids that worked in in white homes, but the community was largely self-sustaining. And so uh, the Dick Rowland uh, incident, and incidentally, coincidentally, uh, Dick Rowland was exonerated years later. You know, and the charges against him were dropped. But of course, the charges would drop because you, they, they destroyed the community. They accomplished what they wanted to. 
that was to attack and destroy the Greenwood community, uh, Little Africa, also called Black Wall Street, but I, I don't think that's appropriate. But I mean, that is the common, uh, uh, you know, term that's been applied to the community. Go ahead, brothers. You know, listening to what you were saying in regards to how they were self-sufficient and they said, we're not going to rely on white people. We're going to build our own community. It really gives credence to what Dr. Cambone said and when he referenced that, you know, there's one problem and we have to deal with this problem in order for these issues to be resolved. We can point to different things, unity, economics, uh, health, history, um, all these things that are important. But until we deal with that one problem, none of those things are really going to be resolved because that one problem is always going to be what prohibits us from functioning the way we need to function. That problem is white people. So when you see brothers and sisters today, and I commend all their brothers and sisters who try to build self-sufficient, self-sustaining communities within the United States of America, one thing you have to keep in mind is that as long as Europeans exist within this country, you're always going to be susceptible to an attack to try to destroy what you build. And until you can deal with the European and develop enough power to where you can not only defend yourself, but be on the offensive when it comes to your adversaries, then that's going to continue to be a problem. Uh, so I think that's one thing that we have to definitely take from that lesson in history about Little Africa is that even though they did an outstanding job of building a self-sustaining community, they did not possess the power to stop their adversaries from being able to come in and destroy it. It's just clear um, that Dr. Wilson would uh, concur with what you're saying. Uh, it's worth repeating again that the greatest arbiter of power is force, you know, which lies overwhelmingly in the hands of the Europeans. Uh, Dr. Karinga actually described in macrocosm what happened to the African continent, which is in, uh, in microcosm happened in Tulsa. He, Dr. Karinga talked about the destruction of library cities and towns in this particular instance, Greenwood, and the human possibility that was destroyed in the process. You know, and if we're really serious, he went on to say about our innate capabilities, we have to wonder what new uh, cures could people at Greenwood or, for, or, or, or people throughout the African continent and diaspora would have uh, developed had this carnage, this rape of a community, a continent not occurred. You know, and this is a loss to humanity. 
you know, to summarize what uh, Brother Karinga was saying, I mean, just incredible, you know, and, and the numbers vary, vary slightly. Uh, 6,000 arrests, 300 dead. It's probably uh, a conservative estimate, 600 businesses, 21 churches, you know, bodies being dumped into the dead gum river there of, you know, where are the bodies of the victims? Unknown, which we posted on African Liberation Media website, injustice plus time does not equal justice. People clearly, as well as their descendants, are deserving of reparations. And we want to uh, address that of you know, there, there is no statute of limitations on injustice. Survivors are here to testify. You know, one, one of the things that uh, Don Ross, uh, uh, a legislator in the uh, Oklahoma uh, uh, Assembly, said that from the perspective of uh you know people in uh in Tulsa uh the brothers the the World War One veterans who had fought the Germans uh and uh others were actually holding their own for a period of time and when the uh, white supremacy dynamic of Tulsa recognized this. We're talking here about the institutionalized white supremacy dynamic, not the raw elements uh, that would make up a mob. Um, Ku Klux Klansman in that type of uh, ilk. The uh, the institutional forces or the, the power structure uh, called in an air force uh, so they started bombing the Greenwood community with uh, petrol bombs. And then they called in the National Guard. So, so what, you, what you saw in Greenwood uh, was some, something similar to you know, what we just saw in Gaza. You saw an, over, an overwhelming you know, military force fighting against uh, some very brave and courageous, in this instance, in our, in our case, in Greenwood, black men who were doing a commendable job, according to Don Ross. And he, he uh, didn't, uh, as a student at, uh, at Oklahoma University and a native of Tulsa, didn't know anything about this until he was taking an African-American history class and the teacher started talking about the 1921 massacre in Tulsa, and he didn't know it. He was from Tulsa and didn't know anything about it. But of course, then he be started doing research, and of course, he's become one of the, the leading advocates uh, for justice. But, uh, you know, the same thing we saw with the uh, NATO forces, you know, against the, the sovereign country of Libya. See, the thing of it is, is that if people of African descent are powerless 
in terms of uh, particularly military power and also in terms of uh, or, in terms of being organized uh you know as one unit on this planet so uh you know they destroyed libya uh not a, a country on the african continent not primarily uh occupied by africans uh but they destroyed them the same way they destroyed greenwood so it does it doesn't matter where you go in the world uh you know, until African people are thoroughly, are thoroughly organized and capable of, you know, Kwame, Kwame Ture used to always talk about seize, hold, and develop. Okay, well, you know, and th there was written, there was African uh, people, a lot of, of African people fleeing uh, the overthrow of Reconstruction, you know, moved to Oklahoma. You know, they settled in a, a community that, uh, you know, nobody else wanted and built it up. So they developed it, right? They didn't really have to seize it, but they developed it. Seize, hold, develop, okay? The problem was being able to hold militarily. And what do you say, you know, when you up against, you know, these overwhelming odds? I mean, this is why, this is why people resort to, uh, at least people in some parts of the world resort to, uh, you know, giving these people a dose of, you know, what they dish out, you know, it's like, okay, we don't, we, we don't have nuclear weapons. Uh, you don't know. We, we don't have uh, F-18 super hornets. Uh, you know, you know, we don't have cruise missiles. Uh, but you know, we, 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 we can still, you know, disrupt things. You know, my problem is that, you know, oftentimes they just target anybody indiscriminately rather than specifically. But, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's where we are. But it's not that African people, first of all, African people have defeated Europeans in numerous wars, you know, throughout our history. You know, when, 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 when the odds are, are even, we've seen African people, uh, you know, win. But, you know, in, in this particular instance, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the forces were, were overwhelming. But you know what? What I want to get back to, though, really, uh, and you know, we could read all of these testimonies, but you know, this—the average person of African descent in the United States right now in in twenty twenty one cannot imagine, cannot even imagine. I'm not. I'm talking about the average person who doesn't know the history of ancient Kemet and and the other African empires cannot imagine. The level of autonomy, prosperity, self-reliance, and self-determination that Africans had in Tulsa a hundred years ago cannot imagine it. We we can't imagine it. And and this is what uh, you know, uh, Mother Fletcher said on May thirty first, nineteen twenty one. I went to bed at my family's home in the Greenwood neighborhood of Tulsa. The, the neighborhood I fell asleep in that night was rich not just in terms of wealth, but in culture, community, and heritage. That's powerful, okay? And uh, uh, the, the, one of the most critical aspects of African culture that we were able to retain in 1921 was the sense of family. Family is at the base of everything that African people have accomplished, okay? Families become ethnic groups, which then become nations, 
which in instances like ancient Kemet and, and Cush become powerful, right? So my family had a beautiful home. We had great neighbors and I had friends to play with. I felt safe. Now she's seven years old. How many African children in Chicago go to sleep at night feeling safe in a black community? Okay, they felt safe. I, you know, I would, I wish somebody had done a, uh, someone like Dubois had done a study of Greenwood like he did in uh, Philadelphia, uh, so we could have like, you know, what was the crime rate? You know, how many homicides were being committed? I mean, you know. It would be negligible. Uh, I had everything a child could need. I had a bright future ahead of me. Greenwood could have given me the chance to truly make it in this country. Within a few hours, all of that was gone. Okay, so what she's saying is, is that, you know, based on the positive images that she was seeing around her, she had every reason to believe she could accomplish everything that she saw taking place around her. This is the this is the value of of having, you know, a community that you control and where, where you, if, if you control the narrative, you control the images and every and everything that, that she saw was something positive that, that gave her hope. Right. That uh, that she could that she could prosper. So but 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 the point I'm trying to make is that what made this successful, even though it's not described in this uh, fashion, was the remnants of African culture that our people held on to. It's what made this a, a successful community, even though we were not able to hold it the same way we, we were not able to hold the entire continent of Africa, you know, beginning in, you know, 1884 and 1885. Culture, as Ani told us, makes cooperation natural. It passes on to us the learned techniques, methods, and ways of coping with certain problems. You said a mouthful there, brother. Every society moves from smaller aggregates to larger aggregates, to the family, to the tribe, to the village, to the state, to the continent. Just like in the African continent, or throughout the African continent, this evolutionary process, which is innate in every society, was destroyed by racism and European militarism and superior weaponry. This is direct quote from Dr. Toure of the macrocosm mimics the microcosm as was displayed in May and early June of 1921. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. So, you know, what humans have done, I've heard you say it, brother, what humans have accomplished, you know, humans can do once again. Yeah. If not now, when? Hmm. Yeah, I wanted to talk about a subject that's been heating up in the media lately. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of people may have seen this come across in relationship to the origins of 
the coronavirus, as we've talked about on this show since 2020, early 2020, when we brought forth a lot of evidence that where we believe that this was a man-made virus, that it was not a natural virus. Well, now the mainstream media and social media is changing its tune. Whereas before they were calling this a conspiracy or people who pushed this a conspiracy theorist. Now Facebook is lifting a ban on posts claiming that COVID-19 was man-made. <laughs> it was information that uh, many mainstream media outlets reported on this past week in regards to lab workers or an intelligence report released by apparently some allied countries of the United States. And there were lab workers in Wuhan that were hospitalized in November and had symptoms of the coronavirus COVID-19 Dr. Fauci disease. <laughs> so many of you may have seen the video that uh, Senator Rand Paul, the Congress hearing where he actually questioned Dr. Fauci on gain of function studies and the funding that the National Institute of Health or NIH sent to Wuhan or to the labs in Wuhan for these gain of function studies. And if you look up gain of function, it's essentially research on taking a disease that only affects animals mm. and somehow altering it so that it can then affect humans. Mm. Now, why they would be studying this in the first place, in my opinion, would either be for two reasons. One, some type of biochemical military weapon that they can use, or two, the situation that we're currently in now, which is to promote a sickness and then, on the other hand, promote a vaccine um this this is going to continue to this is going to continue to make news because a lot of people are now comparing this situation to the weapons of mass destruction lies that took place back during the bush and cheney era mm -hmm. where they lied and said that they knew through their intelligence that Saddam Hussein had all of these weapons of mass destruction, but yet when they went in, they didn't find one missile. Right. So now the Chinese government is blocking the World Health Organization from doing any type of continuing investigation. Joe Biden and Fauci are feeling the heat on this now because Biden is now calling for a 90-day investigation into um to the further intelligence data that, that that the intelligence community supposedly has, even though he was the one who called off the investigation initially. So it goes to show when you look at the mainstream media, they are gonna report on what they feel is important at a time that's appropriate to their agenda. 
why are they choosing to do this now? Well, we have to ask the question, what's the agenda now? Is the agenda to shift the narrative to a blame in China that will somehow uh, excuse the U.S.'s involvement in this because the guy who originally put a lot of this information out there, one of the things that he said was that patient, patient zero was from the United States from Virginia and that this uh this actually originated in a lab in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. In 2015, wasn't it? I can't remember the the exact year, but so if the mainstream media is now pushing this this uh this Wuhan origination out of the lab, what are they trying to to, to cover up? while doing so that's the question that we now have to ask because they're not doing it to try to get to the truth or, or expose the truth to you it's a deflection it's a deflection uh apparently on the world stage if if everybody around the world points the finger to the u.s as the start of this coronavirus COVID, dr fauci uh disease then what would that lead to because a lot of people's economies a lot of people's um, lives have been affected by a disease that they created, not something that naturally occurred. Well, you know, the interesting thing is that uh, almost immediately after the uh, disease uh, first appeared, uh, at least that that we you know, that we know about. I mean, I think. The date will the number of people infected will be, keep getting pushed back. So now it's back to what is it, November 2019 or somewhere in that neighborhood um, in 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 China, and it's probably going to go back further than that. But it didn't take uh, scientists very long to re to recreate a synthetic version of the uh, coronavirus in labs. You know. Uh, uh, you know, the Swiss, Swiss scientists did this, I think, in March of 2020. Uh, and I think Australian uh, scientists did it before then. So it's not that it can't be it, that it can't be created in a lab. So, you know, that, I mean, that that whole idea is out. But um, uh, from what I understand, so Biden has given the um, the deep state uh, 90 days to uh find out where 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 the uh where the virus supposedly originated from and supposedly within the US uh intelligence community the US intelligence community is supposed supposedly split over you know whether it was uh man made or you know whether uh, you know it was uh something that uh, came you know from the animal world via wet markets or whatever uh, but the, the the timing, like you said, is suspicious. The timing, the timing of for a, for someone like Biden, who was, you know, thoroughly opposed to the idea, uh, you know, for since it came into you know, being, that uh, you know it could have been you know made in a lab in China, uh, or could it be made in a lab anywhere? Uh, now has suddenly open himself up to okay so maybe it was 
And is it that they want to put all the blame on the Chinese to try to cover for U.S. involvement in the process? But, but you know, the but we know that the U.S. funded the research that was going on in the Wu, the Wuhan lab. You know, Fauci and those were funding the research that was going on there. So, uh, the the real question to me is not whether it was man-made, as to whether whether the release was intentional or accidental. That's you know because okay, if we go back and look at we look at the article that came out titled who killed africa and said who who killed africa and it was about the uh sudden appearance and spread of uh hiv the aids virus you know in the, on the african continent and the who <laughs> actually stood for world health organization although the writer you know, he, he just used that caption like that, uh, supposedly in, uh, you know, uh, what was it, a smallpox vaccine or something to that effect. So that was something that was specifically targeted to African people and which is still causing thousands of deaths on the African continent today. It's not even being discussed. I mean, it's virtually been swept under the rug since the... Um, you know, since the outbreak of this, uh, you know, SARS, uh, you know, COV-2. Um, but that was something that was specifically targeted to African people. And European homosexuals, you know, spread it to the European world. Okay. So, it, so, but, but in this particular instance, uh, this virus began to immediately ravage the European world. So, you know, so what are they gonna what are they gonna say now? That is there was there was Chinese germ warfare against the entire European world because it it specifically ravaged the Europe the European world and you know to a lesser extent uh you know now you know Brazil and India but it, it's never had the impact on Africa that one would have expected we always expect Africans to be the primary target of, uh, you know, you know, our historical enemies. Uh, so this is, it's very interesting uh, what's going on here. You know, there, there's, there's definitely a whole lot of shaking going on as uh, we used to say. Well, the interesting thing is this uh, accusation contradicts what Biden is trying to eliminate. This is this, um, th th this move toward anti-Sino sentiment that manifests itself in various forms of violence. You know, it, it's obvious that uh, what will be exacerbated through these accusations is the thing that he is purported to uh, want to, elim want to, to uh, want to eliminate. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a number of it's a number of um theories that we can look at and to try to determine the why. It's definitely a lot of motive 
um, they've been wanting to push these type of global vaccinations really for a, a, an extended period period of time, which is why Fauci has been doing this this research uh, for a long time. But um, it seems to me, my theory would be that Fauci and the hats that are working with him purposefully released this to put everyone in a predicament where they would be fearful enough to take the vaccination. And once once they get everyone vaccinated, they're either going to commit genocide on a lot of people or they're going to have total autonomy over people in regards to the way that your body functions mm-hmm. due to the way that the mRNA uh, changes the cells in your body. Mm. I think that 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 is the ultimate purpose for them releasing this releasing this uh, the way that they did. Wow, we can definitely look at, look at a effect a lot of times and determine intent. I look at the number of small businesses that are struggling to survive along. Uh, State Road 74 going toward uh, uh, Balcom County or Asheville. I look at the uh, greater concentration of wealth on the part of people like Bezos and others who have benefited mightily in the wake of this carnage that has occurred throughout the small business world who small businesses who have gotten no support from the u.s government relative to other industrialized countries um bezos amazon cutting wages in the midst of this global epidemic the positive aspect potentially is that people should come to the realization that the ruling class and their lack is the U.S. government could care less about the American people. Hopefully there's been a rise in consciousness, but once again, it is so difficult to organize and we have cited many of the reasons why uh, it is difficult to develop a a working class assault on the rulers, so to speak. I know we're running short on time. There, 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 are, two, there are two other things that uh, that happen that are happening that uh, that we need to, you know, be totally aware of. Um, after a summer protest in 2020, the summer of 2021 is trending towards a tyranny of community gun violence, a tyranny of stray bullets. And uh, I said, you know, this could be the summer that is chill with a few friends because violence is everywhere and it's it's totally unpredictable and you don't know where it's coming from. The rise in homicides is a public health crisis that has multiple interlocking causes, which makes solving it much more difficult. We're still a long way from the murderous days of the 1990s but rising gun violence is destroying lives and complicating efforts to help cities recover. 
from COVID-19. A sample of 37 cities with data, data available for the first three months of 2021 collected by a, a crime analyst, Jeff Asher, indicates murders are up 18% over the same period in 2020. Criminologists still haven't settled on a single explanation for why violent crime dropped drastically from the 1990s, and they're even less certain why it has risen so dramatically over the past 16 months. So, you know, what you see here is a total disconnect between the protests and any kind of change, you know, in behavior or any kind of uh, positive change that, you know, focuses people's attention on their, you know, the source of their problems rather than just randomly firing bullets, uh, you know, into a crowd, just like uh, what happened in uh, Charleston, uh, South Carolina last weekend, where, you know, a 14-year-old girl was killed. Uh, people were out just uh, having a block party. Somebody started shooting. And, you know, a 14-year-old black girl is dead. And, I mean, this is, this is a pattern. All of it's not black on black. You know, some of them could very well be white supremacists in blackface. But the fact of the matter is, it's drastically affecting our community and uh, destructively affecting our community. We even saw uh, the activist, uh, beautiful, courageous sister in London, Sasha Johnson, not just in the United States. She was shot in the head at a party. Now, she may have been targeted, although the police are trying to claim it was... Uh, uh, you know, just a, a gang warfare kind of thing. But, um, you know, we, we're seeing that. And the other thing uh, that we are seeing, which we've been saying over and over again, that reforms will not solve this problem because it's based on an enormous power imbalance. A year after George Floyd's murder, and, you know, Floyd was publicly lynched, uh, you know, one uh, one year ago, new data shows U.S. police are using deadly force at the exact same rate. No change whatsoever. No change. Uh, M MSNBC analyst documents the discrimin discrimination in policing and civil rights that remains largely unchanged after a year of activism and scrutiny since Floyd's murder. Uh, the report on national data, specific incidents, structural conflicts of interest in prosecution and special uh, legal immunities provided to the police show, showing the evidence for why so little has changed. Qualified immunity, still overwhelmingly the law of the land. And so, you know, and, and, and another trend, and, and, we, and we knew that a lot of people that were involved in these protests were just, uh, it was a popular thing to do. You know, it was a pop culture type of thing. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it, 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 it didn't grow out of a serious uh, movement. And, uh, you know, there has been uh, nothing to sustain it. And a lot of these people were out of work and didn't have nothing else to do. So what's the, what's the hip thing to do? Cool thing to do? Well, let's go protest against the police. Okay, that was in the summer of 2022. Well, 2021, now, you know, we're we getting back now. We can start doing other things so we don't care about this. 
And so, uh, you know, one year after this, and you know, I mean, there have been communities where, say, like Louisville outlawed no-knock raids, you know, even though the killers of Breonna Taylor are still free, uh, you know, no, no, you know, no prosecution with no charges or anything. Uh, so, you know, uh, nothing has nothing has changed effectively, uh, you know, across the country. In certain communities, you know, they they have they have changed some things, but uh, you know, nothing that that's going to drastically reduce the amount of violence. So, so you got two things that are that are taking place. The major problem is the community violence. Uh, you know, where you know we, we're losing large numbers of young people, uh, and so you know, th th this is where we are. And, you know, people can talk about whatever fact of the matter is until someone, you know, identifies specific areas that need to be addressed and dedicates themselves to working on that, on those specific areas, perhaps coalescing into a united front. Nothing is going to even, you, you, you won't even have a minimal change. Yes, sir. And what we're talking about, some of the root causes uh, that have led to a lot of this internecine violence, we're talking about, uh, and it's nothing complicated about it. We dealt with it uh, 55 years ago uh, in the wake of the research done by the Kerner Commission. We're talking about education, jobs, recreational outlets addressing these problems at the root causes, but not limited to that. Otherwise, as Dr. King said, you know, we're dealing with reforms of, in his words, the same old bone being tossed on the platter with nicety and complexity. Hmm. We have to deal with these root causes. Brother almost tell us, tell, tell uh, the listeners how we can be contacted. AfricanLiberationMedia.com. Visit our website, AfricanLiberationMedia.com, and check us out on all of the locations where you listen to your podcast, African Liberation Media. We're going to be bringing on guests in the future, and we're going to be doing more live shows. So make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and also check us out on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash African Liberation Media. Until Next time, a beautiful ODA. Power or the lack of power. I want to repeat this power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not jobs, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. Uh, buying your houses and fine clothes does not represent power. Uh, if it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good.
The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world. 